Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Isaiah uh, 9, 1 through 2 and 6 through 7. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. People who walk in darkness will see the great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. This is the word of the Lord. It's good stuff. Well, I don't think it's too early to say a Merry Christmas, Hub City. Huh? Tis the season. Here we go. Uh, we are starting our Christmas series called Christmas Lights. And Christmas is full of example of lights, right? Think about it. Some of you got out there, and where did you put lights outside? Come on, you put them on the gutters, you put them on your banisters, right? You got lights on your trees, right? You got lights all over the place. And how many of you like doing outside lights? There's a few. You can come to my house this afternoon and help me, all right? I only did half. Uh, right? How many of you, you just get your inner Griswold going, right? You just love to put those lights out there. How many of you, nah, I like the indoor lights. You like candles. You like the trees. You like just, I mean, it just feels, what do you feel when you see all these lights, right? You just feel warm. You feel cozy. You feel beauty. You feel a joy, right? There's something about seeing all this extra light that's happening, and Christmas is associated with all of those lights, and I hope that this Christmas season is a reminder not to just light up your Christmas, but that Jesus is the light. Jesus came and said, I am the light of the world. Jesus' arrival brings light to a dark world, and this Christmas we're going to explore this theme of light and how Jesus' arrival brings not just light to a dark world, but what are the implications of it? What does it mean for us as Christ followers, as Christians? Jesus is the light. And this passage that David just read out of Isaiah is a reminder that Jesus was a long-awaited light for a dark world. They anticipated this light for generations and generations, and there's this uh, feeling of hopefulness, but also think about how long that they had to wait for the Messiah to come. There is this prolonged, okay, are we there yet? Is it coming? And I want you to think about that feeling that they would have felt but prolonged for generation after generation after generation as the arrival of the Messiah is anticipated and awaiting that. When you think about this theme of light, think about a time when you went through a power outage for a prolonged period of time. And not just one of those like, oh, it was out for like five minutes and you know, I had to restart my router. I'm talking like you had to pull out the generator so that your food didn't spoil, or you, after, it, after it did end, you didn't have a generator, so you had to buy all new food. Anybody remember those fun power outage moments, right? Where, you know, that first power out moment for the first hour, it's like kind of fun, like, oh, where are the candles? Where are the flashlights? Let's go. And then by day two, you're like, I'm done. 
I've got to charge my phone at Starbucks. This is stupid, right? I want the lights to be back on. I am missing my shows. I am missing power. I am missing warm water, right? I went and showered at Planet Fitness because they have power, but for some reason they have power and I don't have power, so I need hot water, right? All of that inconvenience, all of that frustration, all of that aggravation, that coldness that just saturates those moments, right? Think of that feeling, that prolonged. And in the midst of all of that discomfort, you don't know when the lights are coming back on. You're hoping. You're hoping. I I think the power company is going to do their job. And eventually this grid is coming back up. And some are better than others, right, (laughs) in terms of getting the lights back on sooner. But that prolonged feeling and not knowing, is today the day? Is this moment? And then think for for just a second, what is that feeling when the lights kick on? Oh, man, we just got transported by centuries. We are in a new world. We have power, right? And then you just start plugging everything in, and you start turning everything on, and you're just flipping lights. You're just, woo, we got power again. There's this joy and this excitement and this new mindset, and you're just like, you're at peace again because you have electricity, And I think what we're illustrating here is this passage in Isaiah is telling us for generations they're living in darkness, but they're clinging to this hope that a light was going to come. You see the darkness that Isaiah portrays in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and this is just a portion of this verse, but it says, a time of darkness and despair. The people who walk in darkness, for those who live in a land of deep darkness, He's speaking about how God's people had lived in their world and chosen their own way. They'd abandoned God. They had made themselves their own gods. They had defiled themselves with their behaviors and their choices. They had detoured off of God's plan and said, nah, I'm not going to do what God says. I'm going to do what I say. They'd made themselves gods. They'd made their own gods to worship, right? They had chosen to live in darkness by abandoning God. That darkness is a metaphor for, uh, as you're looking in Scripture, when you see darkness, it is, it is uh, symbolic of calamity and evil and death, sin, sorrow, adversity. There's a lot of heaviness to those words, but that's the metaphor and the symbolism of darkness throughout Scripture is darkness is never associated with joy and fun. As much as a little kid loves to run around in the dark, right, there's this symbolism of heaviness, the feelings associated with darkness. When, I, when you kind of talk about that shadowy darkness, what feelings start to feel like they're bubbling to the surface? Go ahead and shout them out for a second. What, what feelings would you associate with darkness? Confusion, fear, loneliness, hiding, terror, feeling lost and disconnected. That's what Isaiah is portraying. The people of God feel that. Fear, separation, hiding, confusion, loneliness. They don't feel in sync with God. They feel like they're in hiding from God. They're going through life and it's just covered, not just in this physical darkness. We're not talking literal darkness, but more of a spiritual darkness, more of an emotional darkness, more of a heaviness in this way. 
But the text is incomplete when we just focus on the darkness because even in those same two verses, there's parts that I left out when I read it. Verse 1 and 2, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Isaiah is giving them a hope. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the land of deep nar- in deep darkness, a light will shine. God isn't going to leave them in the dark. Isn't that a promise that we can find hope in and that they are clinging to in that, that the lights will come back on. A light will dawn at the end of this journey. And light throughout Scripture is a metaphor for the opposite of darkness, which is life and joy and goodness and godliness and prosperity and safety and salvation and blessing. And this is a prophecy. This is a foretelling of, guess what, guys? We live in this heaviness. We live in this sin. We live in this darkness. We live in this disconnect and this confusion. But joy is coming. Hope is coming. Life is coming. Salvation is coming. And it is found in, as Isaiah would continue to go on, This hope is found not just in your works or in your efforts, but this joy is found in a Messiah, a chosen one, a Savior, the one, right? You kind of get your Matrix vibes going on. The one is coming, right? It is the Messiah. And then we hit this passage in verse 6 and 7 that is so famous to us. You know, it's Charlie Brown Christmas famous to us. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice from the the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. It's pointing to the Messiah figure that would be coming and gives them a hope that the darkness would have an end to it that a light would dawn. And we fast forward, because we live on this side of time, right? (laughs) We're not living when they did during Isaiah's contemporaries. We fast forward through the story, and we know that this passage is pointing to who? Let me just lob this up like an easy little softball pitch. This passage is pointing to who? Come on now, get Pentecostal. There it is, right? We know that this is pointing to Jesus. When we read 6 and 7, we know for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. This is Jesus. This is describing who Jesus is. He is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, everlasting father. He's a prince of peace. That this is the God that would come and save humanity and bring light to the earth, light to the world, right? And he comes from the lineage of who? David. And that's why when you read in your Bibles and you see all those genealogy family trees, who are they pointing Jesus back to? Is David. Because for scriptures like this, they want us as the reader to realize like, oh, there's a fulfillment. Those of you that love information and trivia, you're like, oh, I see the connection there. When you read in Matthew chapter 4, the, uh, the author Matthew is launching the ministry of Jesus in his telling of Jesus' story. And he quotes this very passage. Matthew is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience for his gospel writings. And imagine reading Matthew's gospel, and he's reading it. And the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew quotes Isaiah 9, pointing to this passage, saying, a light has come to the dark. He's establishing that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Later in John chapter 8, we would see Jesus just very clearly say, I am the light of the world. 
Jesus, clearly in front of a group of people, is not going to be shy about the fact that when we see light and we see that symbolism of life and joy and salvation and the Messiah, Jesus comes out in front of everybody and says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the one that the world has been waiting for. And so this morning, I want us to think about what does this imagery of light convey about Jesus? When we talk about Jesus being the light of the world, what does it tell us? And we're going to focus on two attributes in, in, in relation to the imagery of light. And these uh, attributes are going to give us, I think, two reasons to step out of darkness and into the light and saying yes to following Jesus. Jesus used this imagery to convey his identity. And so we see this in the identity of who Jesus is, and it gives us reason to say, I don't want to live in darkness anymore. I want to live in the light. I want to step into the light. And so the first attribute that we see, or that we're going to talk about, is that light reveals his divinity. Jesus is divine. When Jesus says he's the light of the world, it means that he is a divine being. He is God. In secular contexts in ancient times, light was seen as divine. They would worship the sun and the moon and the stars, and they would worship fire, and they would worship light because it was symbolic of glory and something divine. And so in ancient cultures, how many of you remember social studies and you had to learn about like the Mayans and the Aztecs and other ancient cultures, right? And they all had sun gods and moon gods and things like that, right? Well, same thing in those ancient cultures, people worshiped light, but in, in, in the Jewish culture that we're looking at and in our culture as Christ followers, when we look at the scriptures, we see the symbolism of light tied to the divine as well. And we go all the way back to Genesis. And one of the most classic connections that we see between God and light is at creation. In Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be, come on now. God said, let there be, light. There it is. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Light is good. We see this connection between God and light. There's a classic moment of seeing that light is representative of the divine. It is representative of God. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 23, we see this during the, uh, during the, the, the story of the plagues when, when the people of Israel are captive in Egypt. And you remember the plagues? Those are fun Bible stories. But one of the plagues is darkness. And this is a verse that as you're reading through those plagues, we might skip right over, but look at this verse in verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 23. During all that time, the people could not see each other. All of Egypt is covered in darkness. No one moved. But there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. During the plague of darkness, God surrounded his people with light emblematic and symbolic of God's presence in that light. I mean, isn't that a miracle in and of itself that admits a, a, a region covered in darkness that God's people would be pocketed together in these little huddles and there would be light as usual for them because God's presence is symbolic of light. When Moses took them out of Egypt and he would go up the mountain and go and he gets the Ten Commandments. Everybody's seen that movie, right? And you bring down the, the Ten Commandments and Moses comes down from the presence of God. In Exodus 34, 29, look at this. Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the two tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. Everybody's familiar with this passage, right? You know, you can picture it, the Ten Commandments. He wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. His face had changed complexions. 
because he had been in the presence of God. He was glowing. I mean, like Bruce Banner glowing, right? Like just something is off with this guy, right? It's just like radiation poisoning, but it was the presence of God was radiating out of him. He had been in the presence of the creator. God's presence is symbolized with light. And it's linked into the imagery that we see in the New Testament. When the New Testament writers talk about Jesus, they want us to see that Jesus is also tied to this idea of light and divinity with Jesus is seen in this. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, look at the way they describe the Son. Not the Son, but like Jesus the Son. Uh, the Son, S-O-N, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Jesus is the light of the Father. Brightness beaming from God through his presence. His life would represent the character. He is radiating the spirit of God, the presence of God, the identity of God, the divinity of God. The original language there used when it talks about radiating his glory or expressing his character is this idea of stamping or marking or engraving or, in fact, branding. Can't you picture that? It just burns it in, right? Something that's been marked and engraved. When you looked at Jesus, he was marked with the divinity. Marked with the divinity of his Father. Marked with the divinity of God. He is divine. He is not just a good guy and a great teacher and an influencer of social norms and, and, and people groups. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. That's what the New Testament authors are trying to convey to an ancient world, trying to figure out, is this Jesus guy worth following? They're trying to point to, hey, remember all that imagery about light that you remember growing up in, in the synagogue as, as, as kids? Well, all that imagery of light is also tied to this Jesus guy that we followed and that conquered death and came back from the grave. John 1, chap, chapter 1, verse 4 John conveys this idea when he says, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus is represented by the word in that passage. When he says the word gave life to everyone, if you read in the context of John's writings right there, he's talking about Jesus gave life to everyone that was created. Jesus is the light that will not go out. Jesus has no end. It will not be extinguished. God will not be extinguished. God is eternal, and Jesus is eternal. Jesus is unending, and, and there is a message there about God's identity and Jesus' identity that he is divine. He's fully God. And when we sit in darkness and we wonder about Jesus, one of the questions we can wrestle with is, is he God? Is he truly God? Think about it. We live in a world. I mean, Greg's story was so beautiful this morning, talking about, is this God real? Is Jesus truly God? And when Jesus says he is the light of the world, he is revealing that he is divine. He is God. It also reveals to us not just his divinity, but also his purity. Jesus is the light, 
and that light is pure. There's something untainted about the light that Jesus represented. In 1 John 1, 5, the apostle John loves imagery of light and, and love and Jesus and all of this. He writes another letter to the early church. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he says, this is the message we have heard about Jesus and now declare to you. God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. There is no darkness in him at all. So not only is God light, Jesus is light, but there is nothing corruptible, nothing broken, nothing sinful, nothing evil, nothing deceitful about this God. He is pure. He is good. He is worth following. I, uh, can I confess some, some inner desire that I have? I want to be on Survivor someday, Right? You're like, what does this have to do with anything? I'm, uh, April and I are talking through my casting video and trying to get, you know, <laughs> to get, get on Survivor. Wouldn't that be cool? I, I think it would be cool. You'd all watch Survivor just for me, right? Plays bets. How quick will Sean get voted out? <clears throat> but I think for me, one of the hardest things that would be on that show, being on that show, would be talking with somebody and wondering, are their words true? And are they are their intentions pure? And do they mean what they say to me? Right? When we watch it at home, we can see that they're lying through their teeth. But I'm such a trusting person that I would be on the island talking to somebody and they would say, Sean, I got your back. And I'd be like, great. Right? And then I'd walk away wondering, are they lying to me? They? And I would probably go insane. I'd go on that island and just be like going nuts, right? Because I wouldn't have April to talk to and be like, can I really trust them? I don't know if I can trust them. And it would drive me bonkers. And some of us, we are following Jesus and we're, 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 we're hearing about Jesus and we're wondering, can I really believe what he has to say? Because mm, is he true? Is he pure? Is he good? Is he a good God worth following? John is telling the people of that ancient church, of this early church, excuse me, God is light and there is no evil in him. There is nothing corruptible in him. There is nothing broken in him. He is good. He is pure. The light shows that there is no darkness. It shows his sinless character. It's like reading the ingredients list on something, and it's just very clear. You ever read ingredients for food that you're about to eat, and you're like, what in the world am I about to digest? I don't know if that's good for me. I know it tastes good, but I don't know if it's good for me. And then you read some other ingredients list, and it's like, what's in it? Water, nuts, sugar, that's it. Okay, I guess we're eating watery sugar nuts. I don't know what we're eating, <laughs> right? Or like LaCroix, it just says water. And I don't know what essence is, but it's got pamplemousse essence in it. And it says that. And I'm like, mm, okay, well, I guess I could drink, you know. Jesus is the ingredients list, and he's saying, like, there is nothing impure, nothing weird, nothing uh, that we can't figure out. Like, he is good. He is true. He is pure. You're not going to say yes to following Jesus, and all of a sudden he's going to pull a 180 on you and be like, actually, I just, I'm a really corrupted, broken God, and I'm going to destroy you. He's 100% good, 100% pure, 100% loving, compassionate, merciful. That is the God that we see represented in the light. Just as you might look at a, a light bulb or a candle flame, and you just see the purity of it. It's not contaminated. 
There's a purity of, of Jesus' identity. The prophet Micah in the Old Testament wrote this about the identity of, of God's Messiah, and it says, or the God's presence and his light. It says, though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. The Lord will bring me into the light, and I will see his righteousness. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. The Lord will bring me into the light, and I will see his righteousness. What a promise there that you might feel like you're sitting in darkness right now. In some capacity, in some way. But God promises to bring you into the light. And in that, what do we see? Righteousness. We see the goodness of God, the rightness of God, the holiness of God, the purity of God. And there's something about being in the presence of God where it does illuminate your own flaws, your own brokenness. It's kind of like when you paint a wall in, in, in a shadowy room, right? You don't have good lighting in there. And you ever roll paint on a wall and you're thinking like, yeah, we got this, we got this. And then like the next morning, the lights come up and, you know, the light is shining through the windows on that light. And you're like, wow, that is very streaky. I missed a lot of spots. And wow, what were we thinking over there? We just completely missed that whole corner. And I can see the paint coming through and I see streak marks and I see all this, right? The light kind of illuminates like, whoa. We've got some work to do. We don't have this thing dialed in yet. And sometimes when we are in the presence of God, you know what? A reality is we're going to see our blemishes. We're going to see our brokenness, our sin, our corruption, our selfishness. That is a reality of being in the presence of God is that we sit in that darkness, which is symbolic of our sin. But God brings us light so that we can see it we can live differently moving forward. We can see his righteousness. We can sit in his presence and his purity and his goodness, and we can be propelled to live differently. Another way of describing it might be like those commercials for detergents, right? You see uh, these with like dish soap detergents or laundry detergents. They put like, this is Tide and this is the other guys, right? And you see like the stains on the shirt and some of them have no more stains, and then the other guys always have like this residue, right? And then you see that comparison. Well, when we compare ourselves to Jesus, you better believe we're going to have some residue, and we're going to have some stains. And we've tried to clean ourselves up, but you can still see like, yep, there's the meatball, right? Yep, there's the spill. There's the mistake. Or the glass next to each other with the fingerprints and the smudges, right? Those of you that don't do laundry, maybe you do dishes. And you're holding that cup up, and you see all the fingerprints and the smudges, because you bought the cheap stuff at Costco and it doesn't get the smudges off of your nice clean glasses. Well, when you compare yourself to the presence of God and the holiness of God and the purity of God, you better believe we're going to see the smudges and we're going to see the fingerprints and we're going to see the stains. But we don't have to stay there. God is good. And the light of God represents that you and I can live in that purity as well. We're going to explore more of this in the coming weeks. But it's not to condemn us, and it's not to belittle us, and it's not to make us feel small and to feel beat up, but to say there's something different for us. We don't have to live in this stained state anymore, this blemished state anymore. And as we're sitting in darkness, we can truly trust God is good. 
Jesus is pure because him being the light represents his purity. And so today I would just highlight that those are two reasons for, for any of us to step out of darkness and into the light. The light represents his divinity, that he is God. And it represents his purity, that he is good. And I pray that this Christmas season is a celebration of the light coming to the world. And We're human. We live in darkness. We make mistakes. And I don't know every story represented here or, or watching at home. I don't know all of the stories, and I don't know the season of life that you feel like you're in right now. And, and there might be some of us right now that feel like, Shauna, I'm, I'm sitting in, in darkness. I'm sitting in a shadowy time. I thought I was living in the light, and I've made some decisions. I'm struggling. I'm making some bad habits. I'm making mistakes. And this morning, what do we do? I think simply we, we choose to step into the light. Choose to say yes to Jesus. Because he is good, and he is God. And he is the light that wants to illuminate your life. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I'm not saying you're going to have it all dialed in. I'm not saying from this moment forward everything's going to be figured out. But, but we don't have to live in darkness tomorrow. Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.